It's a riveting scene, isn't it? The small band of an executed man's followers huddled together with the doors locked. Men who, to a person, didn't fully get who their leader was or what he was about. They looked for the triumph of Israel over her pagan foes and the restoration of the nation in which they would be rulers, but they ended up abandoning their leader who was crucified by the pagans and fearing retribution from their own nation. And then, as if it wasn't already shocking and bizarre beyond belief, the man condemned by the nation and killed by the Romans appeared in a physically transformed manner not to condemn and reject them as his followers, but to show them his wounds and breathe on him. Like God blew the breath of life into Adam, Jesus blew the breath of forgiveness into them, which they and followers of Jesus down the centuries would need. Not only was this resurrected and transformed person in their midst utterly confounding, but so too was his forgiveness and his giving of the power to forgive to the men he had chosen. For the place of forgiveness was the temple building, and the means for forgiveness were the sacrifices offered there. Now to us, 2,000 years removed, those sacrifices of animals and other things seem absolutely strange, do they not? But I must say that I find the roosters crowing in the neighborhood rather strange. I find the guy who walks his pet pig on a leash rather strange. I find the practice of someone in Poria of just letting their dogs go, sometimes forming a pack and then doing their canine duty on my sacred rock beds and lawns, rather strange. The point isn't strangeness, but understanding how the sacrifices were understood. Of the regular sacrifices, there was the burnt offering, and anthropomorphic language was used to describe this. The burnt offering was given to God, was for him alone, which was consumed by him. He ate it, quote unquote, which meant what? It meant that he was not far removed from us, but he was present, sharing life with us. Then there was the peace offering, which the people would give, and they would receive something back for themselves. There was the impurity offerings and the scapegoat, over which were confessed those sins of the nations that could not be forgiven, and the goat was sent away out of the city, which suggests the limitations of the sin offering. The sin offering only worked for unintended sin, for accidental sin, if you will. It did not work for intentional sins, those that were chosen. The remedy for those was to cut off the person from the people of God. Sin was serious. You disobeyed your parents intentionally, and it was a big deal. So what do we have happening in that locked up room? Well, other accounts capture Jesus doing what? Children, do you have anything to eat? 
And he took what they offered him, blessed, broke, ate it, gave it back to them. And then we have the forgiveness of sins flowing not from the physical structure of the temple, which was way away, but from the new temple of Christ's body, the scapegoat on which all sins were confessed, and he was sent away from the city. And we had the forgiveness of offenses, which before this would have been dealt with by cutting off the person from the nation. Thus, the apostles being deeply, deathly afraid of the Jews, what they were going to do to them. Something radically new had happened. God has visited his people and provided a healing remedy for wrongdoing. And look how Jesus did this. He presented to them his wounds, indicating that in him, death and wrongdoing had been overcome. Not even the grave could capture him, hold him. Peace, real peace with God and one another is possible. Cutting off, being canceled, or canceling is now not the only alternative, and it isn't the Christian one for sure. But look what is. By holding up his wounds, and in breathing forgiveness and peace into them, Jesus was first confronting them with the consequences of their choices, the results of their sins. They, too, had had a part to play in what they saw in him. To me, this seems very similar to what God attempted to do with Adam and Eve when, after they had sinned, he asked them, what have you done? Not because he didn't know, but to give them a chance to take responsibility for their actions, to recover their lost humanity, to acknowledge the misuse of their freedom, and to regain it, which, of course, Adam and Eve did not. This is what I attempted to do last weekend in singling out parents willing to take their families out in public but skip out on their Sunday obligation here. Drawing up before their eyes the wounds inflicted on their children. Not the least of which communicates that we can have dominion over God, deciding when, where, and how we will or will not serve him. Objectively, this is termed mortal or deadly sin. Jesus put it this way, if one of you were to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better if a millstone was tied to that person's neck and that person be thrown into the sea. I mean, that sounds deadly serious to me. But there is now a healing remedy for such sin. The power given to certain men called priests to forgive, to breathe the breath of spiritual life into those who need to be raised from the death of sin. 3 p.m. today, confessions during our Divine Mercy Holy Hour would be good, would be a good time, would be an opportune time to be raised back to life in communion with God if you have failed in this way. 
Do this before accepting Holy Communion so that that act is honest and doesn't compound the problem, which should be addressed and acknowledged frankly with your kids. For I can tell you from countless examples, the most pervasive regret of parents with adult children who have fallen away have is what the parents did and failed to address or failed to do and didn't correct as they were raising their kids. It plagues them, and I would save you from that pain. Correct while there's still time. The showing of the wounds is a step towards healing and recovering our lost humanity, while it also discloses that the wounds we bear have meaning eternally. With Christ, suffering's hurt wounds aren't of no value. This is captured in his wounds that are depicted in every image of him raised from the dead. They have significance eternally. Pain isn't something simply that you must live with and die with, and that's it. But it's transformed into a sign that goodness and love triumph over evil and injustice. Friends, with the mercy God has extended to us in his Son and through his ministers, it's clear that he has not abandoned us or canceled us or left us to be defined by our sins, but to be redefined by his love.